Well, like the Charles Dickens classic, A Christmas Carol, this, this December we are looking at uh, three guides and seeing if one or all of them are taking up too much space in our stories. And last week we started looking at the guide of fear, and this week we're going to look at our second guide, and the guide is think. Everybody say think. Now, there's a word that better describes the heart of what we're really getting at today that isn't just think or what we mean by think, because all of us have thoughts, all of us think about things, but, but that's not really, or I thought about that, or I had an idea about that. That's not really what we're driving at. We're driving at something just a little bit more significant, because the word that we see in this, the word that we're going to unpack today is a word that we see all throughout the first Christmas story, whether it is with Mary, Joseph, Zechariah, Elizabeth, wise men, Herod, and it is the word behold. The word behold is the word that we're driving at a little bit more than just, hey, I thought about that, or I had a thought about that, or I think about that. We're going to drive at the word behold. And we're going to do so today looking at the Christmas story, but from the book of Revelation. Luke chapter 2, verse 10 says this. It says, an angel appeared to them. So an angel was not from earth. It was from heaven. And so you have the marriage of a natural reality and a supernatural reality, a Christ-centered and a cosmic perspective here meeting in a moment. And the angel said to them, fear not. We talked about that last week. And here's the word, behold. For behold, think about this. Let your heart anchor onto this. Of all that is occurring right now that you don't understand, an angel showing up and the landscape shining bright with the glory of the Lord, all of these things, of all the things that your heart can grab a hold of in the moment, the angel of the Lord says this, this is what I want you to think about. This is what I want you to wrap your heart, your affection and your attention upon. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Again, in the supernatural moment when you can talk about what I felt or my boost bumps or this is what I experienced and all the things that I understand and don't understand, the angel of the Lord says, no, 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 no. Behold this, that it's not the sum total of the experience that matters most. It is the truth that is being deposited in this matter, in this moment that is of greatest significance. And the angel says the word, behold, grab a hold of this. This angel is not a human but knowing a little of how humans work anchors good news of great joy that will be for all the people with a preceding word. And that word again is behold. And here's why. What you behold grabs a hold of your heart. What you behold about me or what I behold about you, what you behold about others, what you behold about people in this world that you disagree with, what you behold about people in your life that you love, what we behold grabs a hold of our hearts. There is a proverb that you may have heard, and it's articulated this way, as one thinks in their hearts, so are they. Or another translation says in Proverbs 23, verse 7, for it is like somebody inwardly calculating. Now, show of hands, whether you're here or online, you can put a hands up in the chat. But show of hands, has anybody here ever in your life been in conflict with another human being? Can I see your hands, please? Okay, in conflict with said human being, has anybody here ever caught themselves in the shower, driving a car, at work, at home, whatever, having an imaginary conflict situation moment with that individual? Can I see your hands, please? You know then what inward calculating is. 
And here's the thing that we're driving at today. Inward calculations can be based on truth, but not wholly true. They can be based on things that we feel that are true, but they're not leading us to truth. They can be based on our perspective that isn't the whole perspective. I'm not sure if you've ever sat down with somebody and shared something and then asked them to repeat back what it is that you've said, only to hear a completely different message, perhaps, than you attended. And so sometimes from our lips to somebody else's ears, there can be translation issues. Because here's what is true. And here's why it is important for us to look at this Christmas story from a different perspective. What you behold isn't just dependent on you. The Bible teaches and Jesus taught that what we behold is actually part of it is a spiritual conflict in reality in terms of what we live that seeks to influence the very things that our hearts behold. In fact, our spiritual enemy, the, the devil, is a liar. Another name in the scriptures for him is the spirit of untruth. Deception is his native tongue. Because what we spend time beholding always ends up grabbing hold of our hearts. And when you think of all the Christmas films that you will watch this year, if they are of hallmark in nature, God bless you and keep you. Think of all the Christmas films that, and how many of them have this behold thread woven in them while the word may be never spoken or it is this unseen thread that's all the way through the film. It can be the workaholic who needs to behold their family once again. It could be the one searching for love who needs to behold this new person who has come into their life that they do not yet know it is their soulmate. That is the theme of every Hallmark film. Every Hallmark crappy film. You know, this Christmas season, the question is, though, is there something that has taken a hold of your heart? Oh, beloved, we live in a season where there is invitations on our heart every single day. And whether it is on social media or traditional media, they are not just reporting the news, but they are invitations for us to behold a world that is being formed and shaped in a way that is contrary to who Jesus is. For us to behold something different than perhaps what our hearts are beholding now, I want you to think, though, I want you to think replace and not merely remove. So oftentimes when it's like, I don't want to think about that. I don't want my heart to get a hold of that. I don't want to think about this person that way. I don't, I don't want to think about the situation that way. I don't want to think about the world that way. I don't want to think about this way. So I want to begin to think about it differently. In order to be thinking about it differently, then I'm just going to start thinking about it differently. I'm going to remove it from this place. But actually the beautiful thing is really what you actually need is not just removal. That may be a part of it, but it's replacing it with a greater truth. I once heard somebody who is an expert in addictions say this, that addiction can be described as giving up everything for one thing. And part of the recovery process is giving up one thing for everything else. It is giving up something that you really want for something that you desire even more. And understanding this definition, it is really embracing that every single one of us are addicted to something and every one of us are in recovery to something that is actually greater that we desire more. 
Or another example that I hear over and over again as a follower of Jesus first and then as a pastor second. Do you know that it is critical? It's critical to understand what you think and what you believe about God. It's a question that's asked often. What do you think and what do you believe about God? What do you think and what do you believe about God? And every single one of us are human, which means every single one of us have families of origin. And all of our families of origin, though beautiful and broken, none are perfect. And so intermixed with, oftentimes, how we hear God as Father being a part of the family of God is our family of origin. And for some, that is a blessing. And for others, again, that is brokenness. But every single one of us, none of us, grew up in perfection. When my children hear my voice as a father, my father, my voice as a father is never the same perfect pitch as their father in heaven. This father gets impatient. Their heavenly father never does. This father can be unfaithful in moments, not because I try to, but because I am, but their heavenly father never is unfaithful towards them. And so if you want to understand best your heart and how it's grabbed a hold, we need to look at how you think about God, yes. But if you want your life to be actually transformed, here's what I would say. There may be areas of your heart and life and how you think about God that, yes, need to be removed, but how are you going to do that? Here's what I would suggest is the way of Jesus. The way Jesus taught us to pray is the way in which you and I can actually engage the heart of the Father, and it is this. It is not for you and I to discern how you think about God. It is for you and I to be grounded in how God's word says God thinks about you. Because when you begin to understand that your father is in heaven, how will it be his name, his kingdom come, his will be done on earth, it is in free heaven. Yeah, forgive me my trespasses, you know, as I forgive those who trespass against me. But my father is a good father that his disposition towards me is loving, that his heart towards me is gracious, that he is a father who gives good gifts to his children, that he's for me, that he's not against me. See, if you and I want to, our hearts to be exposed, God, how am I thinking about you? No, no, no. It is something about grounding in the truth of God's word in what God thinks about you that has the power to transform your heart and your life. It is why when you read God's word, it does two things. God's word is entirely different than reading Harry Potter or any other book like Charles Dickens. God's word is alive and active. The more you read God's word, the more it begins to read you. God's word has the power to replace, not only remove, but replace the very things that we think about that we are beholding. In the book of Matthew, as we're going to say week in and week out, through divine inspiration, Matthew writes the Christmas story anchoring in the lineage of Jesus. And Luke is a doctor, so he gives us all the autobiographical details, which is wonderful. And John roots it, though, in who Jesus is from this divine place. But then also John, in the book of Revelation, which is this literature book, apocryphal literature, the study of end times, this literature place, also tells the Christmas story from a conflict place. Because here's, as strange as this may sound to some of you, if you're here for the very first time, here's what the gospel really is. The truth is that what you and I behold isn't 
up to just you and I to change, that we need God to do something for us because we live in a spiritual reality that influences how we act, think, feel, and behave. Not that we can make excuses around that, but that is an important part of spiritual conflict. And I love how the book of Revelation tells the Christmas story. If you have people in your family who've heard the Luke one in a long, you know, they, they know that one by memory or the Matthew one, read from Revelations because it starts in a galaxy far, far away. Couldn't resist. So a great sign that says in Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 to 6, a lot of metaphor here, okay? A great sign appeared in heaven and a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and she cried out in labor and agony. She was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven and there was great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and on its heads were seven crowns and its tail swept a third of the stars. We're talking about angels now that are being swept about a third in heaven and hurled them to earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that when she did give birth it might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son. A male who is going to rule all nations with an iron rod. Her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God to be nourished there for 1,260 days. No, the book of Revelation shows us again when we read about shepherds on earth and in a manger and the meekness of it and this all is calm and all is bright, that in the heavenlies nothing was calm and nothing was bright, that though we see sometimes through these eyes this overly idyllic picture, the reality is that as Jesus was coming into the world, as light comes into the world, darkness shudders because darkness knows that nothing is going to be quite the same ever again and so we see now the marriage between heaven and earth in the story of Christmas where an angel appears to Mary which is this cosmic moment again having this cultural moment but Mary has a choice everyone say a choice Mary has a choice we see Joseph's heart begin to behold something untrue towards Mary and an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph, and Joseph now has a choice. What do I behold about Mary? Do I trust what I think and what I know, or do I trust what the angel of the Lord has revealed, that no, she's not slept with somebody else other than me? Do I trust my truth, or is there a greater truth that I can anchor into? Is life to be seen only from my perspective and my truth and your truth and your truth and your truth? Or is there an ultimate truth, a greater truth? This is woven into the story of Christmas. An angel, as we've just read, appears to shepherds and they have a choice. They have a choice in this moment. And wise men are guided by a star and each step and each week and each month and each year they're on their journey. They have a choice. Do we continue to follow or just go our own way? And when wise men appear to Herod, he has a choice to be compassionate or cruel. And he chooses the story of cruelty, which we covered last week. Mary chooses to trust God and she has a behold moment. Joseph chooses after some persuading, because he's a man after all, he does eventually do the right thing. He chooses to honor God by honoring Mary. But Herod, with fear as his guide, beholding only power, which is the same story that we see repeating again and again and again, even today. And Herod's choice brings something different because he beholds himself. 
And as Herod beholds himself in them, any one of us that behold ourselves know we may not look like Herod or do what Herod did, but when we only behold ourselves and not others, then we only do what is good for us and not for the benefit of another. And so Herod's choice brings suffering, grief, pain to all in Bethlehem because what we behold, church, sews up in our choices. Do you want to know what your heart is beholding towards somebody today? Do you want to know what your heart is beholding towards a circumstance or a situation? Do you want to know what your heart is beholding towards a global issue? Then start by looking at the choices that you make. Do you desire to change your choices? Ah, well, then you got to go a little bit deeper to what is driving them, to what is your heart beholding. And it is in this space, once again, that I bring you good news of great joy. That is for all the people. A Savior came to save us from the very things that perhaps our hearts have gotten a hold of, that may have a measure of truth, but they may not be truth, capital T, truth of who Jesus is. But I also come this morning with a Christmas warning, which again is that in spite of what you may think or feel, because my five senses can only see, touch, taste, smell, the truth is I'm not alone and nor are you. The truth is, if you get up in the morning some days and say, why am I so tired? Why is it so hard to follow Jesus? It actually feels sometimes like I'm in a war. No, it doesn't feel like you're in a war. You're in one. Because it seems so simple. This is, the, this is, this is just the right thing. To, why is the right thing to do sometimes so very difficult to make a choice and decision to do it? I'm not absolving responsibility. Here's what I'm saying. If you and I could fix the core issues of this world, then the Christmas story is irrelevant. No, the Christmas story is that humans couldn't fix the core issues of their own hearts. So how can they fix the core issues of this world? No, the human, human condition, the human heart, and human beings, we needed something greater. We needed saving. That's what we needed. We don't just need better technology. As much as I like technology, we don't need better technology. Technology is not going to save the world. It does good things. It connects us all together. And then when we're connected together, we do some pretty crazy things. Do you know what the number one economic engine on the internet is? You don't need, this is not even a hard question. Of course, it is pornography. The exploitation of others. Everything that we create creates another fall. Because the human heart cannot redeem itself just by thinking itself better. No, the human heart needs redemption, which is an entirely different story, which is which this story, the Christmas story, is all about. Final layer. Then war broke out in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought, but could not prevail. And there was no place for them in heaven any longer. For the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent who is called the devil, and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. The spirit of untruth was thrown out of heaven because where truth abides, untruth must go. Wherever truth takes up more space, and by truth I don't mean a thing, I mean a someone. Wherever Jesus is allowed more room in your life, the very thing that has to be removed so it can be replaced with greater truth is deception must go. He was thrown to earth and his angels with him. 
And so here we see a wrestle around authority and a question I could ask today is, what is ultimate in your life? What you think, what you feel, those are really important things, really important things. But for me, what I think and what I feel have to be brought in submission to what God's word says. Because I've discovered in my life that what I think and what I feel, in some instances, again, beautiful. But I've also discovered sometimes what I think and I feel and what I believe to be so true in a moment. In another moment, looking back, I have regret. Because what I believed and thought to be true and what I felt to be true was actually a deception. It was untrue. It wouldn't be a deception if it didn't appear to be true in the first place. And again, whatever we behold, it gets a hold of our hearts. Now I have a confession and my confession is this, that a number of years ago, I grew to the reality that I, I don't like Christmas. Some of you are saying, what? I grew to the reality that I, I, I got myself in a place where I didn't, I didn't like Christmas. See, see I, I, I didn't like, like I wasn't Scrooge, but I was like small s Scrooge. Like when Lori in November would say, it's time to decorate. I wasn't like, yes. Oh. I began to understand something about my little personality. My little personality is like a sponge. Some of you have feelings and some of you are feelings. <laughs> I'm the latter. And a little sponge is very susceptible to lots of things. And so for some of you, as soon as you hear Christmas, all you hear is Christmas carols and like, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And then there's others of us who our little hearts can be like sponges, which means that we can actually soak up the pain of the world around us. And so, man, I celebrate some of you who are going to be gathered with friends and family this year around the Christmas tree. But then cumulatively, year after year, probably a little bit as a result of my heart as a shepherd, pastor, I don't know, personality, whatever. I celebrate those images, man, and I celebrate your story, and I love it. But I also begin to ache for those whose Christmas will be marked by who is not around the tree this year. And it could be because they're no longer here. And it could be because of brokenness surfaced in a family. It could be because of addictions. It could be for a variety of reasons. But how many of you know that the human story is complex? And I begin to feel all these little things within my heart. I begin to, I don't like Christmas. I, I, I don't like it. I don't. I think it's wonderful for those of you who have the financial means to bless kids and then my heart would break even though we do extraordinary things and I can't wait to celebrate the generosity you as a church have been for next, next week. We're going to do Generosity Sunday and it's incredible but my heart would even break because I find sometimes Christmas in this way creates haves and have-nots and it highlights it even more. The heart of Christmas is peace on earth but we can't stop conflict with one another. We can't, stop. We can't get peace on earth because we can't even get peace in here. So again, like a little sponge, my heart began to soak, 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 soak until I recognized it isn't that I don't love Christmas. It's that I don't love what humans have made Christmas become. And that's altogether different. 
Now, some of you may still see me as like small S. Scrooge, and that's fine. But here's the truth. Because some people say it. Do you have Christmas spirit? I don't need Christmas spirit because for me it's not about a spirit. It's about a someone. Do you, do you feel like it's Christmas? Christmas isn't a feeling. It's a fact. It is rooted in who Jesus is and that Jesus came. So I'm here to tell you that my heart is like the Grinch. My heart is growing for Christmas. But you may be like me. And again, for you, it may just be the most wonderful time of the year. Enjoy. But you may also struggle at Christmas with not just what is and grateful for that, but ah, what isn't and what could be. And your heart gets caught in the pain of that. And here's a little spiritual practice that I want to encourage you with as I read the final scripture. The season of Advent that we find ourselves in is how the early church articulated Christmas. And what Advent is, and it really means, is waiting. And it's not like, so we, so in the same way that the Jewish people waited for Jesus to come, we don't have to wait for Jesus to come. So it's not like we're retelling the story, like trying to build up false anticipation. anticipation. I hope he comes. I hope he's already came. No, but in the space between waiting for his arrival, now we together in the space are also waiting for his second coming. And in his second coming, he promises to make everything that I just articulated as painful, all things new. And so the choice at Christmas, if you're struggling with the season, just for some of you, if you might be, is to anchor your heart not in the feeling, but in the truth of God's word. It is not to anchor in what you think about it, but what God thinks about it. Because what God says about this season is the same son who was faithful to come once will be the same son who promised to return, and he will return again. And when he does, he will make all things new. And so as followers of Jesus, we take a candle. And if you've never done this, and if your heart is overwhelmed, if you're a mom, a dad, an uncle, a brother, a sister, a grandmother, if you're someone maybe who says, I wish I could do this for my family, or I wish I could do that, or I wish I could do this with my kids. I almost stepped on my shoelace there, fall down, and broke my neck. I wish I could do all these things. I wish I could do all of these things, but I can't. I can only do this. If you've come to the end of your limitations, I wish my family was this. I wish this was that. I wish this was this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to light a candle, and I want you to put it in the window, and I want you to put it against the darkness of the blackness of whatever's out there. I want you to light a candle, and I want you to say to yourself, the light of the world has come, and this light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. Let your heart behold the truth about who Jesus is and the truth about what Jesus is going to do because he came one time as a baby. He's not coming back as a baby. He came one time in meekness. He ain't coming back in meekness. He's coming back in might because again, this light shines in the darkness and the darkness, the pain, the injustice, the brokenness, everything that isn't in Christ will be. So we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we don't have a fictitious story to conjure up false emotion to get our hearts moved into a frenzy about a commercial activity. No, 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 no. We have the truth of the message of God's word that is good news for all of the people, that light, that hope, that the person of Jesus has come 
So again, if we want to anchor our heart to this story, it is not just removing that stuff. It is replacing it with a grander and a bigger vision. So church, get your heart a hold of the true story of Christmas, and then it's the most wonderful time of the year. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say that salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and of the authority of his Christ have now come. Behold, the accuser of the brothers and sister who's accusing them before our God day and night has been thrown down. This is the truth. And they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. It's in the original Christmas story in Revelation. For they did not love their lives to the point of death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell on them, woe to you on the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you with great fury, because he knows his time is short. What do you focus on? That he has come here with fury, or his time is short? I choose to focus on his time is short, because the king has come. So the story of Christmas is primarily about worship, authority, conflict, and allegiance. And if there were two words that go together, they are the words behold and worship. Because what we behold grabs a hold of our hearts. And what grabs a hold of our hearts, we worship. Or as said by others, more, more accurately, but also I think just eloquently than I, it would be this. This Christmas season, watch your thoughts because they will become your words. Watch your words because they're gonna become your deeds. Watch your deeds because they're gonna become your habits. Watch your habits, because they're going to become your character. Watch your character, for it will become your destiny. And I would add, watch what you behold, because it has the power to grab a hold of your heart. And whether you're here or you're at home, watch what you worship, because what you worship becomes your God. And the story of Christmas is that none of us are God. As intelligent as we think we are, none of us are. And that every one of us needed God to be God so that we could truly see peace on earth.